as we approach the Word of God at the beginning of this service, we find ourselves in the middle of what is known as the faith chapter, or the whole of faith. Hebrews 11, 24-26, in its context of the entire chapter, is part of an impressive list of women and men who can rightly be described as heroes of faith. I'm sure that none of them have identified as such in their time. But as we look back at their lives, in 2024 we see ordinary women and men whose faith changed their surroundings, and in some cases, the entire world, even the world we live in today. One such hero of faith is Moses, about whom we read the following. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. He regarded his grace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Let's pray. Lord, may these two simple words, by faith, be the words that characterize our very lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us through this sermon to live a life of faith and to walk by faith. Speak to us today through your precious word. Amen. I read this story about a small town in which there were no liquor stores. Eventually, however, a nightclub was built right on the main street. Members of one of the churches in the area were so disturbed that they had conducted several all-night prayer meetings and asked the Lord to burn down the place. Remember, this is a story that may be fictional, okay? So, lightning struck the tavern a short time later and it was completely destroyed by fire. The owner, knowing how the believers had prayed, sued them for the damages. His attorney claimed that their prayers had caused the loss. The congregation, on the other hand, hired a lawyer and fought the charges. After much deliberation, the judge declared, It's the opinion of this court that wherever the guilt may lie, the tavern keeper is the one who really believes God did this, while the church members do not. Now, I don't know if that is a true story or not, but it shows that it's entirely possible to go through the external motions of faith while having no faith at all. It reveals what might be true of many who identify as Christians nowadays in that they believe in God, but not necessarily believe God. Most of the people we're surrounded by have some faith in some form of deity. Very few people would say they don't believe in the divine or in something or someone greater or wiser that plays an overseeing role over their lives and our world. The issue in our days is not so much atheism, though they need God. The issue is not lack of belief in God, though we want people to come to faith. The issue is that people nowadays believe in God, but they don't believe God. And while churches all around the world are making efforts to move people from lack of belief in God to belief in God's existence, we must make sure that we don't stop there. It is entirely possible to help someone believe in God's existence. But if that's where we stop, then they will live life taking on their identity of a Christian when in reality 
all they have become is a theist. No longer an atheist, but now they have become theists. Atheism, according to Oxford Dictionary, is belief in the existence of a god or gods, specifically of a creator who intervenes in the universe. It is dangerously deceitful to think or teach others that people are saved because they believe in the existence of God. You can believe God exists without believing God. And that's where the danger lies. James 2.19 reads, You believe that there is one God. Good. right? Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. Demons believe in God, but they don't live a life of faith in God. Demons believe God exists. How could they not? And they shudder, right? Does that make them Christians? Quite the opposite. You can believe God exists without believing God, but you can't believe God without believing in His existence. And please hear me out. Belief in God's existence is important, but it doesn't save. All these heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 are not commended by God because they believed in His existence, though they did. God takes pride in them because of their faith in Him. And referring to Abraham, Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Moses also didn't only believe in God, but he believed God. The Hebrew believers, who are the originally intended audience of this letter, chose Christ over this world and were suffering the consequences. Some were oppressed, others were abandoned by their family and community, while some others were chased after and became martyrs for Christ. The author of Hebrews is writing to believers who, similarly to Moses, were running for their lives because of their faith in God. And Moses chose God over Egypt. The author of Hebrews tells them and us to look at Moses as someone who lived by faith in the fact that he chose not only to believe in God, but to believe God. If you want to live by faith, you must move from belief in God to believing God. Okay? You must move from belief in God to believing God. And based on our passage today, there are three steps we can take in moving from belief in God to believing God. And the first step is this, turn to God. We read that it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, who we know was the adopted son of the Pharaoh's daughter, was raised up as an Egyptian. Our verse tells us that when he had grown up, Moses refused to be known as her son. By the time he reached 40 years old, Moses matured enough to make a conscious decision in disassociating his identity from that of the Egyptians. He still loved them, but he didn't want to be identified with Egypt anymore. I'm not even 40 and I lived in two countries for more than 10 years and I have adapted and still adapting to two different cultures. Moses lived all his life, since he was literally a baby in a basket, as an Egyptian. We don't read much about his emotional state, but I'm sure we can make a fair assumption that he grew up loving his adoptive mother, and he made friends whom he loved, and he was highly respected by those around him. 
And yet a time came when he understood that his identity is not given by Pharaoh, rather his identity was originating from God, the creator of the universe. A moment came in his life when Moses turned to God. But in that turning, he had to give his back to his former identity and lifestyle. If I have two people standing to my right and left, I can't face them both at the same time, nor can I turn my back to both at the same time. And Moses chose to face God and turn his back on Egypt. But he did that how? But it's rather it's by faith. Moses gave up glory, status, greatness, and position by faith. Moses refused the pleasures of Egypt by faith. Moses refused the riches of Egypt by faith. For all of whom engage in this spiritual journey of knowing God, a moment comes when we must make a choice. I know a church leader in the greater London area who, after years and years of ministry, thought to himself that it's very likely that he has become a real believer only in the last few years. For Moses, it was when he had grown up that he had turned to God and chose him over Egypt. For us, as believers in God, it's when we reach that stage of spiritual maturity that we turn to God and refuse to be associated in our identity with this world. Turning to God is costly. Not something we hear that often anymore. When you choose to fix your eyes on God and His vision for your life, there may be some people around you, people you love, maybe even people you grew up with, like Moses, who won't make a similar choice to you. In some cases, they just refuse to grow and mature. In other cases, they simply refuse to move before because they prefer comfort. In some other cases, it is them who abandon you because your growth requires personal choices that they're not happy with, even though God is. When you choose to fully embrace God's identity and refuse to be known as a son or daughter of Egypt, you can be sure that you will become the enemy, not because you stop loving people, but simply because you now are different. As you turn your face toward God, you are becoming something different than what you used to be. You're turning from Egypt to God and you're becoming less Egyptian and more godly. And the beauty of it is that in turning to God, you have access to His heart, His face, and His presence. You can finally see Him. It may feel like He's far away, but at least now you are facing the right direction, and that is the direction of God. And this links to the second step we must take in moving from belief in God to believing God, and that is take God at His word. Taking God at His word is about acting on your beliefs about God. Taking God at His word is about taking small steps in the direction of God's desires for your life. It's about belief and action, which really is biblical faith. Recently, Naomi and I went to a conference in Birmingham. And once our Uber driver came to take us to the hotel we were staying in, as he was approaching, he was using Google Maps, which told him to go a direction that wasn't possible to take when driving in the actual street. But then I remembered that while I really don't know Birmingham, 
The only area I know in Birmingham was that of surrounding the hotel. And I told them, even though it doesn't show there is a way on Google Maps, just give, keep driving straight ahead and then turn left and we're basically there. He does that, drives straight ahead, then seconds after Google Maps also remembers that there is a way to the hotel from where our driver got stuck. Now, we know that our phones listen to us. <laughs> this time, it was constructive and productive for us as well. This Uber driver took me at my word. He didn't even know us. He could tell we were not from around, primarily because we told him we were not from there. But when he got stuck, he chose to trust us and take me at my word. And because of that, we reached our destination. Isn't it true of us as well that we tend to trust people and technology more than we trust the creator of this world? Our creator who fashioned and designed us in his own very image. He is the one we must take at his word. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Here's a question. What are the chariots and horses in your life that you trust more than you trust God? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your life experience and knowledge. Maybe it's different hats you wear as part of, a, of your busy life. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's the government and politicians. Maybe it's an online influencer. But we are called to take God at his word. What's the point in saying we trust God if we don't take him at his word? Taking God at his word is about trusting his wisdom more than our own. Taking God at his word is about pleasing God before we please ourselves. Taking God at his word is about seeking his kingdom first. Taking God at his word is about obeying God simply because he promised that all things work together for good, for the good of those who are called according to his purposes and those who love God. Tim Chalice writes in his blog on this topic of taking God at his word, so much of the Christian life comes down to this simple discipline, taking God at his word. He continues, God speaks to me through the Bible and makes so many precious promises. The question is, will I believe and will I obey? Will I take God at his word? And there's a few questions that Tim Charles uh, asks, and I think they're very important to our understanding and our uh, desire, really, to take God at His word. For example, if I take one day out of every seven and dedicate to rest in it and to worship, God, will you still provide? Can I have confidence that I don't need to work seven days of a week in order to survive? In Luke 12, 24, God basically says, Consider the ravens, then they're so nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So take God at his word. Another question, have my sins really been forgiven? Am I actually blameless before the righteous judge of the universe? Colossians 1, 13 to 14, God basically says, I have delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of my beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So yes, you can take God at his word. 
What if I refuse to succumb to this sexual temptation? If I walk away from the opportunity or refuse to give in to the desire, God, will you still really satisfy? Can you actually satisfy? James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from me, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So yes, we can take God at His word. Can God really use this painful situation for my good? Can He really bring beauty from the ashes? Romans 8.28, we read it earlier. All things work together for those who are called according to God's purpose. So we can take Him at His word. Can you take God at His word when it comes to salvation? Do you believe that salvation really is all of grace? Do you really believe that there isn't something we still need to do to earn it? But Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Take God at His word, you are saved by grace. Another question is this, Do I really need to stop this sin I enjoy so much? It's such a little one and it brings me much joy. Does it really matter that much? John 14, 15, God says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the final question is this, Can I actually have confidence that I will not fall away from God? Isn't that a good question to take God at His word? Can I actually have confidence that I will not fall away from God? Can I have confidence that I will go to heaven? God says, Be confident of this very thing, that I who have begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Take me at my word. I quoted from Philippians 1.6. The great enemy of the Christian is the sin of unbelief. The sin of refusing to accept what God says and the sin of refusing to do what God says. And the great friend of the Christian is the joy of belief and the joy of obedience. Where is God asking you to simply take him at his word? If you want to move from belief in God to believing God, you must first of all turn to God, secondly take God at his word, and finally treasure God above all else. Towards the end of our passage, we read that Moses regarded this grace for the sake of Christ as of a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Here's the beauty of Moses' approach to living a life of faith. First of all, the basis of all his decisions, the basis of his refusal of the glory, pleasures, and riches of Egypt and his choice to identify with and live among despised people, to suffer affliction and to endure reproach, all these choices were made, how? By faith. Look, it is in vain that we decide to become better people if we don't stand on the foundation of faith. It is in vain that we decide to live a holy life if we don't stand on the foundation of faith. Our prayers even are made in vain if we don't make them by faith and from faith. Even our spiritual disciplines are in vain if we don't stand firm on the foundation of faith. Romans 14.23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith 
is sin. And Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is, right? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Make no mistake, believers are called to live by faith. It's always been the expectation. It's not, it's not on the screen what I'm about to read right now, but I want to focus a bit on Hebrews 11, where it speaks about all these people of faith, all these people who have given up things for God. They lived by faith. We talk about Abraham, who lived his home by faith. We talk about uh, people who by faith they endured hostilities. By faith, Daniel closed the mouth of lions. By faith, Esther. There are so many women and men of God who by faith they have conquered kingdoms and they have uh, administered justice. All these people who in their time all they desired was to live by faith. You see, Moses didn't only have a strong foundation of faith, he was also looking forward to the reward. Faith as the foundation and Christ as the reward. That's how Moses lived his life. His foundation was faith. And he was, as he was standing on this foundation of faith, he was looking forward to the reward. And my question is, do you treasure Christ above all else? Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every single human being in this world has a foundation and is looking forward to something like a reward. And the stronger the foundation, the bigger the chances to claim the reward are. You need a foundation of knowledge, skill, and experience in order to claim the reward of career advancement, the increase of finances, and a better life. If you educate yourself and learn, if you develop the necessary skills to add value to people or the organization you're in, if you can get things done, you'll very likely succeed in claiming the reward you're looking for. That, that's the foundation. But Moses was looking forward to a different kind of reward. A reward that couldn't be reached while standing firm on the foundation of knowledge, skill and experience. This reward could only be gained, how? By faith. And the reward he was looking for, together with all the believers of the past and believers in the present age, is Jesus. He was looking to Jesus. They were looking to Jesus. Are you treasuring Jesus above all else? The first three verses from Hebrews 12, so right after the chapter 11, the whole of faith, it continues and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such a position from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's the beauty about Moses and all these heroes of faith. Their foundation was faith and their reward was Jesus, but in the end, we realize and basically the test screams out at us that the foundation is Jesus. 
You see, both the foundation of the believer's life and the reward of eternal life are Jesus. Because Jesus is the rock of ages. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus is immovable. No matter the storms we go through, no matter the waves that crash against our lives, if we build our lives on the foundation that is Jesus, and if we build our lives in a way that looks forward to the reward that is Jesus, we have assurance that one day we will see him face to face. That is why what the author is calling us and what I want to encourage all of us today Don't only believe in God's existence, which is great, but let's move on the next step to believing God. We need to believe God. God is calling us to move from believing in Him to believing Him. And the way we do that is by turning to God. Fix your eyes in the direction of God. Then take God at His word. Everything He says is good. And finally, treasure Him above All else, in the end, Jesus is not only the reward, but the very foundation of our faith. So we look to him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and we will be rewarded by him.